1: So you know the words. But how do you express it? How does it dance out of your heart? How do you express it tomorrow morning as you're trying to get those kids out the door so they don't miss the bus? How do you express it when you're, you're finishing up all the specs on that, that widget that you're, you're, you're making at a tool and die shop and you're, you're about done? How, how do you express it there? How do you express it when you're going through all the applications for the universities and you don't know which one you should apply for? And then even if you get accepted, you don't know if you want to go there. How do, you, how do you do that? See, I think we've come to the place that many times we think that our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, is a formula. If we just say that, then things will change on the outside and make it a whole lot easier for us. The truth of the matter is that it is not abracadabra. But it is simple power. We look at that power last week behind prayer. And if you weren't here, I invite you to go online and download that. Or to stop by our our media desk and get a copy. Because it it is the basis of everything else that follows us for the next three weeks. We look at that prayer and what Jesus intended for us in that prayer. You see, in, in another dimension that does not have time or space, but exists at this moment. There is this thing that has already happened that was recorded by the follower of Jesus named John in a revelation that he had. And he said this, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, the Messiah, and he shall reign forever and ever. There is this place already where God's perfect will, where there is total wholeness and health, is already existing. And Jesus shows up on this earth and he says, now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to know that what's happening in heaven can now happen where you are right now. In your home, at your business, at your campus. It can happen right there, right now. In fact, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask me. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is, where? In heaven. In heaven. The stuff that's happening there, I want it right here, right now. It's amazing that Jesus would show up and he would say to the throngs of people, the kingdom of heaven has arrived, it's here. And the disciples would watch him and they would watch the evidences of that kingdom arriving as he would change water into wine. Amazing. As he would walk on water in a storm. As he would embrace a leper and as he embraced the leper and says, you are healed, that skin that is rotting off the flesh now turns perfect. Where he arrives at the death of a little girl and he says, rise up and, and that girl who had been dead now lives. And it is an amazing thing to me that everything they watched Jesus do only one time, only one time did they ever say, teach me how to do this. They didn't say, hey, teach me how to do the, the, the water into wine thing because that is so cool. It would be a great party trick. And then if I get stopped by the cops, I could do the wine back into water deal. That would be really good. Can you teach me that one? Can you teach me how to do the, the walk on the water thing because I've got to get over Ontario and I don't want to go through Niagara Falls? I could just hike across from Erie. Can you teach me that thing? Can you teach me how to? How to raise people from the dead because that would be just so great there's only one thing they asked them asked him to teach them and it was this teach us how to pray because that is the connecting of what's happening in heaven here on earth and all those other things are evidences of that taking place so my question is this how much of heaven is evidenced in your life and do we know how to call for it to be here right now as God intended So Jesus said, I'll teach you. I had a friend years ago when when Pam and I lived in Sacramento, California. He was an Air Force pilot. He flew weather reconnaissance, which was a code word for that. They flew around the nation or around the world and collected nuclear samples off of testings from other countries. I always asked him what he was doing with that plane, collecting weather samples. And he just smiled and said, I can't tell you. And then one day he said, I can tell you because they just announced it in Newsweek. he said, here's what we do. So we flew a 727 and one day, Pam's dad came to visit and, and Mike said, Do you guys want to come and, and fly a 727? I said, Excuse me. He said, Well, not actually the plane, but we have, we have the simulator. You want to get in the simulator? Oh, cool. So we went in and, and the instructor was there. And so he sat us down in the, in the pilot seat. And, and he said, So where do you want to go? And he started flashing uh, pictures of airports and, and aircraft carriers. And he said, oh, We probably shouldn't do the 727 on aircraft carriers. So let's, let's move on from there. And finally, he said, let's, let's land here in Sacramento at nighttime. Cool. So he punches in, and, and there on the screen is McClellan Air Force Base in Sacramento at night. So Pam's dad was the first to go, and he, he just does great. And he lands the 727. He was just great. I thought, well, if he can do it, I can do it. So I got in there and, and and we began to fly the thing and, and the instructor kept saying, your approach is wrong, your approach is wrong, you need to change this, do this, do this thing, your approach is wrong, your approach is wrong. And we're going in for the landing and suddenly there's this huge jolt and the screen goes blank. I said, did I land? He said, yeah, you did. And you, you wiped out half a real Linda, California in the process. Several years later, I was in a private plane, a four-seater, and we had just flown over Mount St. Helens a couple years after it had blown its top and and we're just looking at the damage and we're coming down to land in in Salem, Oregon in the the, uh, airport there. And and as we're coming in for landing, the pilot leans to me and says, you want to land this? I said, oh, dude, if you only knew. You're not asking. No, I don't. See, here's here's the issue. If you don't get the approach right, you don't land safe. And Jesus said, so you want to land my will right where you are? Then you've got to get the approach right. So he begins the whole thing with the approach. Here's how you approach. Matthew 6, 9. You can find that in your Bibles. If you want to look at it yourself, just turn in your Bibles to the beginning of the New Testament. You can use the Bible in the rack in front of you or use your outline. It's listed there. Matthew 6, 9. This, then, is how you should pray. You read, this is Jesus talking to us. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Pam and I flew once over the Atlantic, and we were on an airline. I won't tell you which one, but the seats were just so incredibly tight. When you sat down, we were next to each other. When you sat down in the plane, the knees were already beginning to touch the the seat in front of us. And that's before the seat in front would begin to recline their seat. And this is like a 10-hour flight. In the back of the seat, there is this little TV screen. I thought, well, at least we can watch movies because this is a 10-hour flight. We'll read some and watch movies. And I thought, well, at least we'll get through that. But everything is just so confined. So we start to watch the movies. And the guy in front of me reclines his seat back, crunching my knees. But at the same time as he reclines his seat, the screen goes down. So I lose the image of the screen. So I have to scrunch down on my seat like this to see the screen, which pushes my knees out into the chair. I'm thinking, this is just not right. God knows I should be in first class. Somebody messed up here. And you're scrunched together. They bring you the food because it's a long flight. A long flight they give you food, not like every other airline when you have the short flights. And and so, you ever been on those flights where you're really crunched and you can't move your elbows? And you feel like little hamsters going like this, trying to... You you can't move. If you drop anything, you're just going to forget it until ten hours later to pick it back up because you can't get to it. Not going to happen. One time, Pam and I were crunched like this, and I don't know what I was eating, but she had some kind of like a beef stroganoff thing. I mean, that's what they called it. And, and it had this, this dark red gravy over it. And when my wife's the kind of person that when she enjoys something, everybody else should enjoy it. So she said, "This is really good. Believe it or not, it's good. You should have some. I don't want any. You should have some. I don't want any. You should have some. I don't want any. You should really have some. I don't want any. You should have some. And so I said, no, I don't want any. But she, anyway, she, she takes her fork and sticks it in the beef, and, and, and in that cramped condition, leans over to give it on my, on my plate, and it drops. Now, we're, we're crunched together, so it lands on my white pants, bounces around, hits the floor, and I've got this, this gravy, red gravy stain on my pants. She goes, did I do that? Uh-huh. She says, let me get that, and so she starts wiping it. Now I have a a figure of North American continent on my pants. Look, Pam, we're right here at the elbow. I mean, at the knee right here. Look, it is so cramped, I can't do anything about it. I just want to stretch. Ever been to that spot? You just, I've got to stretch. Well, the apostle understood that. And so he says to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8, We are pressed on every side by our troubles but we are not crushed. It's a great word because here's what it means. We are pressed. It means we are compressed. All the things that have been hassling us and then the sickness the doctor said I have or the fact that the bills are coming due and we just got laid off. All of that is crunching us in and we want to stretch and we can't. But Paul says, oh, here's the deal. That's what's happening, but we are not crushed. And the word actually means that we are not placed in a narrow room. That there is this space, although we shouldn't have it, we do. And it brings me back to what we talked about last week. That when we get crunched like this, it's like everything is right here. It's all the space we have. And so if I'm going to deal with the financial issues, I've got to deal with them right here, and I'm running out of options. If I'm going to deal with the physical problem, I'm running out of options. If I'm dealing with this broken relationship, this divorce, I'm running out of options. I just I don't know what to do because it's right here. And it's all I can see. Those are the only options. But Paul discovered this thing that Jesus talked about. He said, when you pray, everybody just put your hands up like this again in in front of your face. What do you see? (laughs) You see your hand. Good answer. You guys are great. Leave it up there. Now, just pull it back. Now, what do you see? See me? That's a great thing, isn't it? But you just look around. you see. See, here's what happens when you pray. You take what seems to be the immediate issue and the thing that's got you contained. And Paul says, I can pull it back. And now I see space. I see power. I see opportunity. I see support that I did not see before. It opens up all the other options when I begin to pray. And what that is, is the dimension where God resides called his will, where he's interacting with everything around us in ways we don't understand. But he said, I've got options you never thought of about because they're way beyond what's here in front of you. Because that's who I am for the kingdoms of this world, which include the kingdom that's got you hemmed in have become the kingdoms of the Lord and of Christ, and he shall reign forever. So all of this stuff says, I've got the reigning power that I'm going to release in you as you pray. And that is the place that I want you to reside. That is the place of grace. That is what happens when you begin to pray. When you pray, don't just say, oh, so what am I going to do about this? You begin to open it up and say, oh, there is this big opening. We're going to deal with that next week when we talk about come your kingdom, be done your will. There it is. So when Jesus says, you start our Father. Who are in heaven. You're in that space. And I have just joined you there. He says, I want you to pray this. In essence, it's this. God, I'm unpacking at your place right now. I'm thinking of my life. I'm going to unpack here. I was here, but I'm going to unpack in this, this variety, in this spaciousness, in this potential, in this opportunity. I'm bringing my life and I'm packing it right there with you. You say, wait, 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 you know, I've done this religious thing, and, and I've prayed before, and it's gotten me nowhere. And so, you know, you can invite me to do this, but it's not going anywhere at all. It's, it's like this invitation I received a couple of weeks ago. It was an invitation to a barbecue. And I want to show you what happens when I tried to say yes, that I wanted to come to the barbecue. I'll show you. Oh, do you ever feel like that in prayer? God says, I got all this stuff for you. And you say yes, but it's not going anywhere. It just keeps moving on you. Could it be your approach? Because here's what Jesus said. Here's how I want you to approach. I want you to run to our loving father. I want you to run there. It's an interesting word that he uses when he says, Father. In fact, Jesus called God, Father, as many times as it's been recorded, have been over 200 times. In fact, when Jesus prayed, he always used the word Father, except one time when he prayed, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, if Jesus tells the truth and Jesus said, I only say things... That the father tells me to say the fact that he called him father must mean that the father wanted him to say that, which means it must be the father's favorite term. Father. And it's pretty scandalous to say this to, to, to the audience Jesus is talking to. Because you, you can look in, in, in ancient rabbinic, rabbinic uh, uh, manuscripts and you can look through the history and you'll never find, you'll never, ever, 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 ever find that invocation being allowed. Father. Father. Because it is it is a simple word. It is a family word, a familial word. It is it is a homey word. Do you have special names for your grandparents? Other than grandma and grandpa? My, my, I don't know how this happened, but ours was nanny and D. I have no idea where that came from. But grandma, grandpa, nanny, and D. Well, Somebody tell me what you got for grandma and grandpa. What names? Mama and papa? Yeah. Yeah. What is it? Anna and Papa? Yeah. So those, are, those are familial names. Those, those are special names for the family that you have. Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the Father the way that I go to the Father in that special word. Abba. Daddy. But this is a Jehovah God. This is the God who creates everything. How can I go to Him that way? Because here's the deal. You run to our father because our father has already run to us. It's already a done deal. You know the story. You call it the prodigal son. The guy says, hey, I want to break away from the family. I just want my inheritance. I don't need the family. So he divorces the family and he leaves. He takes his possessions. He goes off and lives a lavish lifestyle. He invests in Wall Street. Wall Street goes upside down. He applies for bailout funds and the Senate says no more bonuses. And this time we need it. So he says, "Well, maybe, maybe I could go home and, and beg my daddy to let me be a slave, because even the slaves have it better than I've got it now, because I am so messed up." So he heads home, and while he is away, off and see, we, we would think that this would be the case. Pastor Jason, I told you I'm going to pick on you, but I didn't tell you what I'm going to do. Hey, come here. Can you just get in this hour right here? And you're the prodigal. And I'm the daddy. See, here's how he would expect it to be. Because here's the deal. He insulted the family. He divorced the family. So come toward me. And if I'm the daddy, you would come and you would bow. Bow before me. See, this has nothing to do with the sermon. I just needed this. No, no, I mean really bow. Come on, dude. No, no, no. Give more. Just lay out there. That that's it. That's it. Now we're talking. Somebody get a picture of this because this is so good. Stay there for a few minutes, okay? So, so here's the deal. We go to God in prayer and we think, "Oh God, I am so miserable. I am so rotten." And we just we bow before Him. And, and bowing is worship. It is. But when you come to this point of prayer, he says, "Yes, you are honoring God and you are reverencing God, but you need to understand how you come to Him." And when we come in prayer, we go, "Oh God, if you could only," and it's be like like Jason there, and slipping me a piece of paper saying, "Hey, by the way, if you could just help me out a little." And that's how we pray. Oh God, if you're not busy with somebody else, and you know, I know I messed up last week. I know I lost my temper. I I, I know that 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 I just blew it royal at work. I I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. Could you? Could you? Could you? Could you just? You having fun down there, Jason? All right.
2: And that's how we
1: come. Okay, you back up. This is how Jesus said it should be going back there. No, not down there, back there. I want this every day. (laughs) As the sun is a ways off, the father sees him. Now, remember, this is an autobiography of God. That's what the parables do. They tell you what God's feeling about things. The father sees the son. Start walking toward me. And he takes off running. And, it's, and, it, and, and the history said that great men do not run in public. And this guy was a great man, but he doesn't care. He goes over. He grabs hold. He twirls him around.
2: And this is so not My kid's home. that Isn't
1: that great? <laughs> Now, listen to me. When you go to prayer, get the right approach. He's running to you. He's grabbing you. He's twirling you. He's screaming, this is so good. He's kissing you on the cheek. He's loving you. You say, what you don't understand. I don't, but he does. And it frees you up. You come to him and say, here I am. And he grabs hold and he loves you with a love you cannot comprehend. That's our story. Scripture says all of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. Meaning this, all of us have offended God and can't figure out how to get home. And he comes looking for us. I love the words by author and pastor Max Lucado. He says this, Because of his justice, he cannot dismiss your sin. But because of His love, He cannot dismiss you. God, felt so good. So in an act which stunned the heavens, He punished Himself on the cross for your sins. Understand this. The kid divorced himself from the family. In fact, him approaching the family again was risky because the family could have stoned him for the embarrassment that he had created the family. He's risking that He could die. To come back, he needs to be adopted into the family because he's no longer a son. He's got to get adopted. Pam and I had some friends years ago who had gotten married and, and wanted to adopt kids and And so they adopted a little girl from India. Then they adopted this girl locally. And we're just so excited about them. And so they went to pick up the baby at the hospital. And I'm going to tell you now, what happened was not this. They didn't get there and and find this row of babies leaning up against the glass, holding up posters that say, pick me. Pick me. Have my own house, clothing line, and already Harvard tuition. Pick me. Didn't have another one next to, to her saying, hey, pick me. I sleep most all night long. I'll feed myself and change my own diaper. Adoption agencies don't spend time with the children and say, here's how you pick out parents. Go look for them. They spend time with the parents and say, here's how you adopt a child because you get to choose. You cannot come to prayer with this father and say, let's negotiate to get what I want. So I'll tell you this, I will give this much... To humanitarian agencies. or I'll, 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 I'll read my Bible this much or I'll be nice at work this much or I'll do this thing. You cannot negotiate with the Father because He's adopting you. You're not adopting Him. So there's actually nothing you can do or say to impress Him. You're like a little baby and all you do is poop and eat. That's it. You've got nothing else to offer. Somebody just said, did he say poop? He did. You have been adopted. That's why he twirls you around and says, yeah! Paul, the apostle deals with that. Ephesians, the first chapter. The fourth verse. Long ago, even before he made the world. Now, guess this. Before he made the world, God chose you to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in his eyes without a single fault. We who stand before him covered with his love. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And why? Read that last line with me. And he did this because he wanted to. (laughs) He just wanted to. Hey, why did you adopt me? Because I want to. See, your arrival in prayer does not surprise him because he's already planned on it and he made it a way so that, that you could get to him even if you had offended him because then he had his son pay for it so that you had open door. So his, your arrival shouldn't surprise him. But let me tell you that our invitation should just shock us. Again, Max Lucado continues. He says it would be enough... If God just cleansed your name, but he does more, he gives you his name. It would be enough if God just set you free, but he does more. He takes you where? He takes you to that place in that other dimension that you begin to see as you begin to pray. He takes you to that place, which is home, where everything you need in life and living, he said, I've given to you right there that you can call for to help you in your life. It's there. So why wouldn't we unpack there? Is there any greater wealth? Is there any greater power? Is there any greater love? No! And it's yours. But you've got to start your approach there. So we run to him because he's run to us and he adopts us. And here's what we do next we pray, Father, you are. See, God is not part of American Idol. You don't line up all the gods, all the idols, and And say, okay, now perform for us. And then Ryan Seacrest gets on stage and he says, I'm going to call out the three with the lowest votes. Come stand here in the middle. First, Jehovah God. Secondly, Zeus. Thirdly, Buddha. One of you is going home tonight. The rest of you will be able to stay for another week. Jehovah God, America has voted. and you're safe.
2: Yay. My God save.
1: Hallowed be your name, Hagios. Different and separate from everything else. So you've got some papers that you have that you don't leave at home. You take to the bank. You unlock that that drawer. You slide it out. It's a safe deposit box. And you put those papers in there because they are adios. Not like all the other papers. They're separate. They're valuable to you. In another month or so, we're going to have a car show here. And cars, the cars are going to show up, and you're going to see cars that you haven't seen all winter long, and, and just beautiful cars, and antique cars, and restored cars, and it's just it's amazing. And, but you're not going to see them when it's snowing, and you won't see them if it rains that day, because they're hagios. They're special cars. They get garaged in a special way. Mark Furman, you led worship this morning. Stand up. Who's with you right there? Dara. Who's Dara? She's special wife. Real quickly, I want all the women in the church to stand. Mark, you can choose any of these. Look at them all. This is, this is, does not go there. (laughs) This is so amazing. Everybody wave to Mark. Wave to him. Mark, look. Look at that. So look, look around. So who are you going to take home? Dara. Because she's Hagios. More than that. Thank you, sit down. Because she is the special one separated from all others. Hallowed be your name. Now, understand the name. The name in Jesus' day meant the personality, the nature, the abilities. The name represented that person. So when you knew the name, you knew what to expect from that person. This week, I looked up some names. And this is for real. I kid you not. I found some interesting names. I'm going to tell you the names, and then we're going to talk about what would you expect from these people with this name. You ready? First name, Anita. Last name, man. I need a man. What would you expect from Anita? Mark, watch out. First name, Dan. Last name, Druff. Dandruff. I kid you not, it's a real name. Probably Flaky Guy. This one I like. Francis is the first name. Useless is the last name. Francis Useless. Probably a patriot. First name is Ida. Deserve better is a last name. I deserve better. That's a real name. What would you expect? Not very happy. Randy's the first name. Otherway is the last name. Randy Otherway. Real name. I would not put Randy Otherway with Anita Man. It's not going to work. Sam's the first name. Which is the second name? sandwich probably hungry Wayne is the first name Dwaf is the last name Wayne Dwaf. he's all wet Xavier is the first name breath is the last name Xavier breath probably doesn't want you talking to him this one has three names Zach, middle name, Lee, last name, Wright. Zachary right. This person believes he's right. There are, in the Old Testament, over 80 names of God. Each one of them represents something about him he wants you to know. And as you get to know him better, you understand the name. So when I was born, I understood Daddy. I understood my father. But as I grew in that house, in that relationship, I understood more about my father. I was very, very shy. And so when people would come come by, I would run behind my daddy's legs and hold on to his legs. And I came to the conclusion my daddy's name was strong. My daddy's strong. I'm okay. My daddy's so strong. We had we had a flood hit our house. In Buffalo, New York, there was, there was ice buildup and then the, then the flood and the ice chunks came down the street and wiped out two sides of the foundation of the house. The blocks, so that there's only the corner blocks holding up and they are afraid the house was going to fall. It was still flooded. We couldn't get out. So my dad was tying a rope to the tree next to the house and he was going to carry us by rope over to the tree to save us. I learned my daddy is a protector. My daddy protects me. I don't know how he did this, but every time I lied, he knew. I learned my daddy knows everything. I watched my daddy pray for things and for people, and I saw saw answers, and I understood my daddy prays. I understood that name about him. My daddy would take me and show me how to do things, and I understood my daddy as a mentor. You see, the more I know him, the more I know his name and the more I can expect what he will do for me. So you start with our Father in heaven, but he says, Oh, hallowed be the name. Take those names and begin to understand those names. Look at those names because it will tell you what he'll do for you because that's the way he is. Understand those names because it will help you expect an answer. That's our approach. So here's what I do when I pray. I see myself running to him and him running to me and I see him holding me and embracing me because there's so much wrong about me that he shouldn't let me in. But he's just loving me because he's my daddy. And if you had a bad dad, then find somebody in your mind who loves you more than anything and put that there. And understand that his love multiplies millions of times over from that. So I see him holding me and I see me adopted and then I say, okay now dad, I want to tell you what I know about you. This is who you are this morning, I just want to give you three names. And and on your your outline, I've given you a website to find some other names because I can't go through all the names today. But I would encourage you to find those names of God because that describes who He is for you. The first name I want you to see is Jehovah Sidkenu. Jehovah Sidkenu. Meaning our righteousness. I told you uh, last week that a friend and I, and, and some of and his kids met. We met together in Phoenix with a friend of mine, and and did the hard task of going to spring training for the Cleveland Indians. And, and we went to Goodyear Park, and we discovered after the first day there that there's this pavilion in right field. And so you you go up to the pavilion in right field, and for a very minimal minimal cost for what you get, you pay. They put this band around you that that identifies you as someone who's paid. And you walk in the pavilion. You can sit anywhere at any table you want. And they have this buffet. And they have this bar. And you get to eat all day. So you grab a plate and you start to the buffet. You go, oh yeah, I like that. I want that. Okay, I want that. I want that. And the people, they don't stop you. They look at you. And And if you've got the thing that says paid for... You can just keep taking all you want all day long. Hey, I want a bottle of water. I want a Diet Coke. And, and just you, can, you get it all. Because it's paid for. Listen to what Jehovah says to the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line, and he will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land, and this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. He is our righteousness. When we show up in prayer, and we look at God's grace, and we say, oh God, I want that, and I want that, and and I need that because you know I need that thing. And Satan stands there and looks at you and says, whoa, 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 I know you. And you have messed up so bad, you should not be in God's presence, let alone ask for anything. The only people who should be standing in this line are like Billy Graham and Mother Teresa and Pastor Jason. Those are the only people who should be standing in this line, not you, dude. What are you doing? But there stands the Father, God, looking at you saying, I'd like to have this and this. And he looks at you and he sees on you, not just a little wristband, but he sees written across you the words of his son who was on a cross for you when he said it is finished, which literally means paid in full. Righteousness means I'm paid for so here's what I do when I go to prayer and I start talking to God and I think, oh, I can't ask this. I look at me and I say, look what he's done for me. I've got Jesus written all over me. So I go to the father and I make this declaration. You are Jehovah Sid Canoe. You are our righteousness. Therefore, I declare to you, I paid for. I'm in. And God said, you bet you are. Eat all day. Help yourself. There's a second name I want us to look at, and actually, I'm going to reverse the order that's on your notes. This will be the last one on your page. I declare that he's Jehovah Nisi, my banner. It would be like China invading Taiwan when Israel came against the Amalekites. That overpowering. And you know the story that God said to Moses, get your guys down there and let them fight them. And so they do that. And Moses goes on top of the mountain and he takes the staff of God who represents the might and the authority of God, holds it up, and as long as he's holding it up, they win. He gets tired and he starts to drop his arms and they start to lose. So he puts them back up again. Well, he can only do that for so long. So a couple of his associates come and they hold his arms up. He gets so tired, they put him with a rock underneath him so he can keep the arms up. And they win. He creates an altar to worship God, and he writes these words there, Exodus 17, verse 15. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means what? The Lord is my banner. Pam and I have been in some foreign countries before, in foreign cities. And there have been a couple of occasions when we've been with our guests, and they've been driving us around. And we go by this place, and they'll say, now listen, if there is a problem, we go, whoa, 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 problem? Yeah, like if there's a coup. Like, is there a coup? Yeah, like an uprising. An uprising? Maybe even a riot. a riot? You could have told us that before we came here? If that happens, and especially if we get separated, get separated? That place right there, it's the U.S. Embassy. That's U.S. soil. See that banner right there? That's the U.S. flag. Get there. It's safe. Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble, but I have overcome the world. So when you come to pray, come to me, because I am your safe place. There's this great, this great description where Solomon is describing his love relationship with his wife. And it is, it is a comparison to God's love for his people. And there's this one spot. He said, I'm my beloved, and he is mine. His banner over me is love. That is your safe place, His love. So when I pray, and especially in those tough moments, I come to him, and I will run to this papa, this daddy, and I will say, let me grab your leg, because there's a standard there that says, if I come to you in prayer, you will protect me, and they can't get to me. And I rest there. There are moments that I get so anxious, the anxiety hits, and I have to go to prayer. My dad taught me this as a mentor. I would, he'd say, if you ever feel restless, go to prayer and get back into that safe place. Just go back there until you feel like God says, I got you. Because he is Jehovah Nisi. So I declare to him, you are my safe place. You are. There's this wonderful third name of his, Jehovah Rophe. You're our healer. It's a really unique place that he uses this, and I want to describe it to you. The children of Israel, a million or so of them, have left Egypt. They're in the desert. They don't have any SPF 50 and no Gatorade to replace the electrolytes. It's tough. They go for three days. And they finally find H2O. They dive into the water and find it's brackish, it's bitter, and it's even poisonous. poisonous. So while the Israelites complain, Moses prays. And after his prayer, God says, here, have a tree. Does that seem odd to you? I need a tall glass of water and you give me a tree. I think we're confused here. I want water, not a tree. The wording in that scripture says he showed him the tree. The actual wording means he instructed him about the tree. It's the same word that we use to get the word the Torah. The instruction. He instructed him about his thirst in view of the tree. Here's what the scripture says happened. Exodus 15, verse 26. If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians. And Read this last line with me. For I am the Lord who heals you. See, Egypt didn't trust. They didn't listen to his instruction. He told them what to do. They didn't listen. So they remained in suffering. He said, you will not remain in suffering. I will heal you if you do this if you will listen to me and if you will allow me to take those things that you say have no healing in them whatsoever. Oh God, I prayed for healing and there's nothing here to tell me you're going to heal me. He said, but I've given you something and I will instruct you on the way to use that and in that instruction I'm going to tell you that I will heal you because it is not the medicine that will heal you and it is not the doctor that will heal you and it is not, not the people around you that will heal you. It is not the manner in which you do it will heal you but I will heal you in any way I want to heal you because it's me healing you and I'll use what I want to heal you. So Moses looks at this tree and God instructs him. He says, "Okay, this is all I got. So I'm going to throw this at the problem. And he throws it into the water and it becomes fresh. And it's healed. Last week, we sang a song called the Desert Song. I want to repeat the words to you. This is my prayer in the desert and all that's within me feels dry. And this is my prayer in the hunger in me. My God is a God who provides. And this is my prayer in the fire in weakness or trial or pain. There is a faith proved of more worth than gold. So refine me, Lord, through the flames and I will bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon forged against me shall remain. I'll rejoice. I will declare God is my victory and he is here. And this is my prayer in the battle and triumph is still on its way. I am a conqueror and co-heir with Christ. So firm on his promise, I'll stand. All of my life, in every season, you are still God. I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. I will bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon formed, forged against me, shall remain. I rejoice. I will declare God of my victory. And he is here. That song was written by Brooke Fraser. And when it was recorded and shown at Hillsong Ministries in Australia, singing with her was a girl named Jill. Jill understands that when you get in this desert, sometimes you say, God, I don't know what to do. I I don't know how I'm going to get healed. I'm wounded so deeply. And at that moment, God says to you, I have placed in your hand all that you need. If you will trust me, I will be your healer. So what you must do now is you must take what I've given you, and you must throw that at the problem. And if you do, You'll find the poison is being withdrawn, and you will find I will heal you. About a week
3: and a half before the recording, um, I went into labor. I was about six months pregnant with um, our first little boy, Max. Had him at the hospital, and he was only 23 plus 5, which is 23 weeks and 5 days old he was really little but we had him and he was alive and um he was in the neonatal ICU you know where they were kind of taking care of him and we basically spent a full day with him and we believed and we prayed that he would be okay but we trusted that God was in control and that night he um he died of you know just being too little basically so I was going to sing an album before before any of this happened, I didn't even think about the album until, you know, three or four days afterwards. But um, I just remember thinking when my name was on the, you know, roster saying he was doing what, just thinking, feeling like I had to do it. And I actually remember sitting in the hospital right after everything happened and knowing that I needed to think, that, that I needed to feel do what I know I'm supposed to be doing and that I felt like that was just a victory for us. Right now anyways it's just choosing to worship all the time that that's what it is for me because I don't, I don't always feel like it and I don't feel like, sometimes I don't feel like being to God but uh, I know that my circumstance in this season doesn't change that God is still God. It doesn't change what God's called me to be or what He's called me to do. And He's still on the throne in heaven, you know, and He still rules and He's still bigger than everything I'm facing. I was singing, and I believed everything that I was singing, and I still don't really know why, but part of me just was still so, like, broken that I didn't, it wasn't like this huge rush of, you know, how I always felt when I worshipped, like the presence of God just, you know, flattened me, it wasn't like that, and I remember singing and not feeling that, like how I always felt before, and just going, I know that you're here, God, but I just... Maybe it's because of my brokenness right now. It was so, the, the cut was so deep, and it was so fresh that I didn't feel like I felt it before, but I knew I just needed to keep singing, and then it was going to be okay, and I just kept singing, and then when we got to album night, it was the first night that I think I felt the presence of God like, like, I, knew it, like I knew him, like I, and like I had known him before. So, so Jill and I, that it's just been together um, on the night, um, was such a privilege for me Um, and as her, you know, aside from, you know, her being an amazing worship leader and being anointed and carrying the authority that she does just as her friend and as her sister in Christ, I was so proud of her and aware of um, the weight of her singing that and just kind of just feeling so um, it was I mean it was a, a real emotional moment and just also being aware that that her standing there and glorifying God in the midst of her loss and her tragedy meant that the devil lost kind of what he was trying to achieve. Even when you seeing things that you, you know you know it's true but you might not necessarily fully understand it. I think that just being able to look at God and and say things that are true of him and like declare the word of God and declare the promises of God which is that, you know when I'm in the fire you know, and when I'm being refined and when I'm in a battle and when the giant isn't here yet but it's coming I think that you look at God and you say, I know it's just who you are and he does get he does get bigger in your life and it takes over the things in you that feel so you know shattered and it makes him the circuit and it begins to put those things back together
1: so Jill loses that which is so precious to her how do you get healed from that She simply does what Jesus told her to do he said you come and say I'm coming running to you father And I'm going to declare who you are in my life. And even though it hurts, I'm going to declare this because this is who you are. And because this is who you are, your presence will bring me healing. She said, I know this is who you are. She said, he does get bigger in my life. He does take over the things that seem to be so shattered. He is my focus. And he begins to put those things back together again. So prayer is simply this. You run to Him because He's run to you. And you say, okay, I'm learning who you are. So in the beginning of this prayer, I'm going to declare you are Jehovah, my righteousness. I'm paid for, And I'm safe right here because you're Jehovah, Nisi, my banner. And I don't know how you're going to do this, but I know. I know you're my healer. I know. And if I will hang on to that, you will give me something that I can use to throw at this problem. And I will be healed because you promised that. And you know what I do? I start thinking all the people I know that have been healed and I start looking to the scriptures and say, but you healed here, you healed here, you healed here. And if you do it there, you're no respecter of person, you do it in my life. And by the time I get done declaring all the names that I know, there's absolutely nothing my God can't do. And my faith just wells up. That's the approach. So then you can turn and say, okay, now, what's happening in heaven right here, right now. So will you stand and I've asked the worship team to declare his name again one more time and as they do I'm going to invite you to begin to declare who he is in your life declare that he is your father declare that he is the one who's paid for you any other names you know this almighty God and begin to declare and fill this place that this is the God that loves me the God I talk to we're going to do that for a few moments during this song and then I'm going to dismiss you but just stay with us for this moment Worship team, lead us.
0: Blessed be your name in the land that is like for. Where your streams of abundance flow Blessed be your name Blessed be your name When I'm found in the desert place Though I walk through the wilderness Blessed be your name Every blessing you pour out i turn back When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name. Be a glory and say let it be the day. The name of the Lord. Let it be your name. Let it be the name of the Lord. Let it be your glory and save. Let it be the name of the Lord. Let it be your name. Let it be the name of the Lord. Let it be your glory.
1: So here's my assignment for you. First of all, if you need to know more about this relationship with this God who runs to you, stop by our information desk in the back. We have a gift for you that tells you more about that relationship. And folks say i will talk to you about it and pray with you if you like. So do that. And then, this week, at least once a day, go to Him and just say, Father, I'm running to you and I know you're running to me. And Picture that. And then begin to declare even in your place at work, get there early or at home. Get up early walk through and say, but here, here, you are Jehovah who is. And you start declaring that. And you create an atmosphere of expectation and it moves you. It moves you into that dimension beyond anything you can see with your eyes. And it allows His grace to flow freely to you. And expect wonderful favor from God this week because He's releasing His inheritance in those who will trust Him. For He is your healer. So now may... Jehovah sit Kamil. May he impress on you what he has done for you that you may say, "Oh, he bought me. He's paid for me. May you find safety in Jehovah Ni and find a peace for your life today. And may you find Jehovah Rapha, has given you all you need as you trust him, for he is your healer. In the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.